Hey there, it's Jim Stengel, host of the CMO Podcast. We're all marketers here, so let's be real for a sec. We all know that your website shouldn't be a static asset. It should be a dynamic part of your strategy to build your brand and drive conversions. That's Marketing 101. But 54% of marketing leaders say web updates take too long. That's over half of you listening right now. And that's where Webflow comes in. Their visual-first platform allows you to build, launch, and optimize web pages fast. That means you can set ambitious marketing goals and your site can rise to that challenge. Learn why teams like Dropbox, IDEO, and Orange Theory all trust Webflow to achieve their most ambitious goals today at webflow.com. Want to drive greater success in social commerce? With Deloitte's latest creator economy research, you can. After surveying over 500 creators and 500 brands, our insights are helping CMOs and marketing teams harness the power of content creators. And not only that, but how to do it well. See for yourself by visiting cmo.deloitte.com today. What's the first brand growing up on that farm in Wisconsin? What's the first brand that made an impact on you? Let's see. My my favorite brand when I was a kid was probably Crayola crayons, just because we we're always the making a big brand. old mess. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And but I always wanted that box of sixty four crayons. Do you know the one I the mean? Big that one. has oh yeah yeah that has the the sharpener at the back. And you know my mom was Dutch and uh, we saved our pennies. You got so, the eight crayon box. Yeah, exactly. Right? That was just <laughs> enough. That was just enough. Maybe the twelve if I was very well behaved. But I love the smell of it. I loved looking at, you know, all the color combinations. Hi, I'm Jim Stengel, and I help major brands find their purpose and activate it, and the profits follow. For seven years, I was the global marketing officer for Procter & Gamble, where I oversaw the marketing of hundreds of brands. You may not know it, but the CMOs, the chief marketing officers of all of your favorite brands, are trying to connect you with your favorite products and services through purpose. And on this show, I delve into how they do it. My guest today in the CMO podcast is Andrea Sullivan, the Chief Marketing Officer for VaynerX, an innovative media and communications company founded by serial entrepreneur Gary Vaynerchuk. VaynerX is the umbrella brand for nine companies in its portfolio, one of which is Gallery Media, which produces the CMO podcast. Andrea is part of the team that conceived this show, so I know her quite well and had so much fun recording this episode. My guest and friend Andrea is a positive force in our industry. Along with her responsibilities at VaynerX, she's on the boards of the Ad Council, the Ad Club of New York, the Miami Ad School, and the Creative Spirit. She is also a professor of branding at the School of Visual Arts in New York. Andrea has not always been a New Yorker. She grew up on a farm in Wisconsin and later graduated from the University of Wisconsin with a degree in business and Spanish. This is my conversation with one of the most positive people I have ever met. It's only fitting we are doing this during Women's History Month. Here is the remarkable Andrea Sullivan. Well, it's always extra special when I interview not just a colleague, but a friend. Welcome, Andrea, to the CMO podcast, finally. Oh, my goodness, Jim. This is the most exciting day for me. The only thing is I'm going to have a hard time not turning things back around and asking you questions. You can do that. That's okay. That's fair game. (laughs) Well, obviously, your listeners can't see this. You have beautiful flower earrings on. We are recording on the first day of spring. So I have to start with, what are you looking forward to this spring? Is this your favorite season? 
Oh my goodness. It is absolutely my favorite season. And you know that because you always see me with these flower <laughs> earrings on regardless of season. Right. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I'm so, I'm so excited. I just feel like everyone is coming back. Uh, they're coming out in spades everywhere we go. And despite everything that's happening out in the world, our industry feels like a wonderful place. Uh, and there's a lot of change happening, right? There is indeed. And we're going to see a lot of each other this spring, which I'm looking forward to. Well, listen, this is an unusual episode of this show. You are part of the team that created the CMO podcast way back in 2019. So we've been working together for years. Did you ever expect when we were together at VaynerX's headquarters in Hudson Yards in mid-2019 that we would still be doing the show four years later? <laughs> if I can be honest, Jim, absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> Who knew that uh, there would be such a groundswell? I mean, we should have known, right? Because you are absolutely unbelievable in terms of how you bring the CMO community together. It's the most beautiful thing. And also how you can unlock people and allow them to be themselves and tell all about the leadership journeys that they've had in such a personal and meaningful way. It's oh. my favorite podcast. Oh, thank you. We'll see how I do today, right? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> now, do you, I mean, you've been part of this for four years. We've done 250 or so episodes. Do you have a favorite i i hate it when i get this question by the way so i'm going to give it to you do you have a favorite episode or two i do actually and it's it's funny because i listen to all of them uh and so you would think that i would come up with you know someone that maybe i didn't know but the most gorgeous episodes for me are the ones where i know someone somewhat and then i learn so much more because you're able to take them down the twisty turns that make life what it is and so one of my favorites uh, was your conversation with Emily Callahan, mm. who is the CMO of St. Jude. And I had actually met Emily when she was at Susan G. Komen. She's always been doing important work. She continues to strive and to be incredibly humble while still being very ambitious. And she forces everyone <laughs> to constantly be trying new things, experimenting, um, in an industry that's tough, right? Nonprofit is not known for uh, trying new things and trying to reach out to new audiences like Gen Z as they have. Yeah. Um, and so I loved getting to know her more as a person in addition to the difference that she's made. Um, one other, I really, really loved that, uh, the conversation with Tim from Flow Code and had mm -hmm. no idea that he um, has the commitment that he does as a family um, to ADHD and the work that he does with his wife, um, you know, arm in arm. My family is starting to have some some issues in some of those areas. And as a result, I reached out to him and he wrote me back the longest uh, note of help. And it just shows the humanity of the people that you select to be on, on the show. Um, and I think it makes all of us better people, honestly, Jim. That doesn't surprise me about Tim. He's that kind of person. No matter how busy he is, He'll respond when there's an issue you're wrestling with. That's I've known him for about 20 years, and he's always been that way. It's remarkable. It really is. Well, I was doing my homework on you, and I thought I knew you reasonably well, but I came across a recent video you did for Women's History Month, and you responded to a question about what the 10-year-old Andrea Sullivan would think of who you are today, and you got immediately 
choked up. <laughs> so let's start there. Why did you react that way? You know, I think that uh, when I think back <laughs> to my 10-year-old self, uh, and I see where I am today. I mean, the, this is a perfect example, Jim, that I'm here talking to Jim Stangle, and then I get to be surrounded by so many wonderful people in the community doing the great work that we do um, is I, I'm a lucky, lucky person. And I feel obligated to be able to give the access and the great fortune that I've had away as much as possible. Um, I feel like, you know, having uh, worked with people like you and with Gary, who are truly, truly role models of that kind of behavior each and every day is something that inspires me um, and allows me to add some extra hours in every day that I have so that I can, you know, sit on boards and that I can be a professor and that I can do mentoring in addition to my job because it gives me energy. It also makes me feel full. Um, but I also hope that I can set the stage for others um, who can have then the great fortune that I have. Well, we're going to talk about a lot of that, but I want to stay with the 10-year-old Andrea. What were you interested in back then? Yeah, so I was always a musician uh, and I, I played the flute and I actually thought that I would become a flutist. And I, uh, you know, I, I followed that track for quite some time and went to some performing arts schools, then later realized that I loved music, but maybe I didn't love the business of music quite so much. Um, but Jim, you've seen me, you've seen me play my flute at Cannes. Yeah. And occasionally we, my husband will let me on stage and play a, a Jethro Tull song or two. Oh, yeah, yeah um, of course. But yeah, no, I, I, um, I wouldn't say that I was immediately in love with marketing per se, um, but I did love the idea of storytelling and I loved culture and foreign languages and um, being sort of out of my element and learning things about people. I was raised by a feminist mom who was also a political activist. So I think that and helped in forming kind of an eyes wide open approach, even even at 10. Hmm. Where was the interest in language? What started that? You studied Spanish in college and I believe you're you do pretty well in French as well. Where did all that come from? Yeah, so my mom was very interested in cultures as well. And we traveled some, mostly just to Mexico. I grew up in Wisconsin. Um, and I, I started studying Spanish in, in middle school. And then I really fell in love with life, I would say, in, when I moved to Spain my junior year abroad. And really loved the fact that when you met someone in Spain, they don't immediately ask the same questions in the same order that sometimes they do in the United States. Where are you from? What do you yeah. do? Where did you go to school? You know, if you're in Spain, they love you because you're out at a bar with them and they love talking <laughs> about, they love arguing and they love sports and they love politics. And, and you're at that bar at about 2 a.m., 2 or 3 a.m. That's right. That's right. And so all the passion for life and the kind of flirtation with life um, was something I'd never seen before. And so uh, I'm still trying to get Get Gary to open that office in Spain. And I have I have a, a crew behind me that I, every time I speak live, I try to just sneak that in. So thank you for indulging me. Now, back to the Women's History Month video you did. You said then that your superpower, I love this question, was unlocking the superpower in others. And I contend that if more CMOs saw their role and their scope that way, 
they'd be a lot more effective. So rather than rehashing kind of what that superpower is, I'd like you to talk a bit about how it affects your daily life, how you operationalize that superpower and how you work day in and day out with your people, your clients, the industry at large. Yeah, well, my my role is one that's really all about building community. And it's about building community inside our organization, in addition to the marketing leaders um, out in, in our industry, but then also connecting with culture and trying to bring perspectives from all of us together in a way that's interesting and hopefully makes us better at what we do. Um, as you know, Jim, as we're talking about anything that has to do with purpose or relevance, mm -hmm. no matter what we do, it has to be authentic. It has to come from a place that has a deep heartbeat to it. So a big part of what I try to do is to find what moves people and to bring them together in ways that's interesting, that has common ground, that gives opportunity to those that perhaps have similar interests but just haven't had a space to be able to create together. And so I love that more than anything. Um, in, in, and I think a big part, to your point, a big opportunity uh, for CMOs is being that almost that chief integration officer um, a bit more across their own organizations, in addition to how they're reaching out to their consumer or their, you know, special audiences. Now you're in your second CMO role, the first one in a public company, and this one in a private founder-led company, and not just any founder, but the inimitable Gary V. And you seem really happy, and I get to see a fair amount of you, and I've seen a fair amount of you for the last four years. How is this CMO role different? from your first one at Interbrand, and you were there for many, many years. And what is it about this role that has you so happy? I'm very lucky to work with Gary because he's constantly, um, he moves fast. Boy, does he move fast. And he's always searching for what's next while still be having two feet uh, on the ground in terms of what we need to pay attention to right now. And I think, you know, my my role as a as a CMO at Vayner versus what I did at Interbrand, um, it's largely similar in the sense that I'm continuing to grow my community um, with CMOs in particular and their organizations. Uh, but Gary has a generosity of spirit and a belief that we need to lead with empathy first. Um, he believes in something that we call the honey empire where we really, we look at our, the most important thing we can do is pay attention to our employees first. And then it's, then we need to look at what's going on in culture. And last, we need to pay attention to clients, which sounds crazy. Mm -hmm. But the idea is that if we can look at how we can make sure that a brand is most relevant, connected to culture, um, that our employees are going to be driven to do that. They'll do great work and naturally we'll be able to create business value and brand relevance for our clients at the same time. And so the opportunity for me is to be able to do things like the things that I do with you, where we're constantly creating education and offering it up to everyone for free. Um, we're connecting people that have maybe lost their jobs and we're offering them training and we're connecting the dots so that they can land in their next dream job. Also, Gary calls it stealing our brains um, and allowing people to set up an in-house agency, knowing that may maybe that means there is no role for us. 
Um, he's definitely playing the long game, and that's why I joined him. I've been at Interbrand for 16 years. I had really created a huge, uh, you know, kind of friends and family environment there. But when I met Gary, he just has a different kind of vision for what the world should be. And he gives it, he gives back every single day. Um, and so there's a lot to, lot to learn there. We've all been there. You spend millions of dollars each year driving traffic to your company's website. And then the results come in and they're just not what you hoped. On top of that, 81% of marketing leaders say website ownership is a challenge. So what do you do? Well, you switch to Webflow. Let me tell you why. Webflow's visual-first platform empowers your team to own your company's most valuable dynamic marketing asset, your website. From launching a new site to optimizing for SEO and conversions, Webflow gives you the tools you need to drive business growth fast. Unlock your website's full potential when you build, manage, and host with Webflow. Get started today at webflow.com. What would you say is the key to success for today's CMO? If you said data, you wouldn't be the only one. At Deloitte, however, we believe data is only half of the equation. The other half, story. Because data is the language of business, but story is the language of humans. And we believe the most successful CMOs know how to harness the power of both data and story. To learn more about Deloitte's CMO program and how we can help today's CMOs succeed, visit cmo.deloitte.com. You created since you've been CMO at BainerX, the Marketing for the Now show, but I participated in many of those uh, events, and I think it's marvelous. So could you talk a little bit about the catalyst for that idea, how it's evolved, and why it is so resonant? Because the ones I join have a whole bunch of CMOs on. You're getting a lot of different perspectives. It moves fast. It's always sort of about what's going on now and what's going on tomorrow. It's great fun. It's really stimulating. So what? What? tell us a bit, bit, bit about the origin story of that. Well, thank you, Jim. I think uh, the origin story of marketing for the now is an interesting one. Much like the question that you first asked me, did you ever think that it would still be continuing now after several, a few years? Mm-hmm. Um, and the answer would be, would probably be no. But uh, yeah, we started marketing for the now uh, at the beginning of the pandemic, mostly because we were curious about what everyone else was doing. Where were they struggling? Where could we help them? Um, I think we all knew as an industry that we needed to change immediately and become agile, look at ways of reducing budgets, creating more content, doing it in ways that were unlike anything we'd seen before. And so we decided to just stand up, um, you know, a show uh, that would allow us to talk to different uh, different parties. So to your point, yes, CMOs, but then let's bring the platforms in. Mm-hmm. Let's talk to influencers. Let's hear from musicians and creators and, you know, celebrities. Um, and so the the ambition was to have uh, four different speakers for an hour. And Gary said that 15 minutes was too long <laughs> that we yeah. had to cut, cut right. the interviews back to 10 minutes. So now they are, they are, they do move very quickly. 
um, but we're able to cover a lot of ground as a result. And I think that's what's held our audience. So we uh, we have over 100,000 viewers for each episode. We do hit a global mix of about 144 different countries now. It's a mix of everything from, you know, Fortune 500 CMOs, but then we have our fair share of entrepreneurs and um, you know, and, and creators as well, just by the nature of the the following that we have. So it's it's a lot of fun. Now, I, you said this a few minutes ago, and I, I've seen you talk about this before. I love how you think about your job as being all about impact with your employees, impact in the larger industry, and impact with clients. And obviously, how the industry associations you're involved with are broad. and I'd like you to talk about how that makes you a better leader. And when you do your planning on Sunday night or Monday morning or whatever your ritual is, how does that affect how you think about your calendar, your priorities? Yeah. So I think that the way I look at my calendar is how am I investing in the next generation while I'm still obviously focusing on what's immediately in front of me at the same time and looking to my left and looking to my right to see, are we leaving anyone out? Uh, And so I can say that one of the programs that I'm most excited about at Vayner is a residency program that we created. So you're probably familiar, Jim, that as an industry, we're all looking to try to diversify our talent to make and diversify in many, many ways, mm-hmm. right? So it's as important for us to make sure that we're incredibly close to culture and that we understand many, many micro audiences that have great passions as it is to make sure that race and gender and sex and all those kinds of things are equally as diverse. And most people complain about the fact that we can't find talent anywhere or that they're not able to perform at the levels that we want And so what we did is we created a program that's open to anyone. Um, It could be people that have graduated from college or it could be those that haven't. Uh, And we teach them. And originally when we started this a few years back, we focused strictly on media. Uh, But now we have an integrated approach because that's what, you know, Vayner is all about. How do we bring together strategy, creative and media? And so we've had... um, 500 different residents go through this program. Wow. Uh, 92% of them have then graduated um, and then received a full-time job from us. Uh, and 56% of those are um, are from BIPOC communities. And so it's helped us to, to really get better at getting better um, and to create our own uh, pipeline of talent. So that's something that that makes me incredibly excited. Uh, we also stood up a show during the pandemic uh, that was called Voices at 1.37 p.m. Every day at 1.37 p.m., we would have different people come in and talk for 15 minutes um, from around the globe. And it was something that just connected all of our people in a way and celebrated them for their side hustles, their passions. We also had, you know, celebrities and things like that, that um, it didn't matter, like junior people would get to, to interview uh, the celebrities. And so, again, just trying to think of ways that we can connect the dots um, and connect the heartbeat of our organization. Really, really important to us. So why 137? 
So one one thirty seven, as as you probably know, some uh, some some of the listeners may know as well. But we own uh, Vayner X owns something called the Gallery Media Group, uh, and one of our publishing entities is called One Thirty Seven PM, and it's a lifestyle. Uh, property that's focused on males that are entrepreneurial, sports-minded. And the idea with the time is Gary is, is all about like at 1.37 p.m., what are you doing at 1.37 p.m.? Um, and so it's one of those, those moments that you should be making the most out of every single minute, every single second of the day. And so that was the, we, we wouldn't start the program at 1.36 or 1.35, exactly 1.37 p.m. And we shut it off exactly at 1.52. I love it. Now, listen, this is going to be a good question, I think. Uh, you have a view of brands and brand growth that few people on this planet have, right? So you were 16 years into brand, which is still one of the best organizations at doing research and consulting about brand identity, brand equity, brand growth. You've been a professor of branding for seven years at the School of Visual Arts in New York City. You're active in a whole bunch of industry associations and you're now about five and a half years at Vayner. So that's quite a view that you have about marketing and brands and growth and people. So could you reflect a little bit, Andrea, about what you've learned over your wonderful career about the most important characteristics of growing healthy brands today? Boy, you know, it's interesting having come from Interbrand where, you know, we created the best global brand study. Yeah. We innovated the all of the methodology around looking at the financial value of a brand. And some brands actually use that number on their balance sheet. Uh, and I think for me, one of the most interesting moments at, uh, in, in sort of my journey and learning about the power of brands uh, was when Interbrand decided to change its methodology from one where it looked strictly at external drivers of growth and change. And they incorporated 40% of the criteria for the brand strength were internal measures. And for me, that was a big signal um, of how companies were being viewed, um, which, which companies were successful and that you had to pay attention to culture. You had to pay attention to leadership. You had to make sure that you were walking the talk. And, you know, we, we've seen that in spades in the past couple of years, right? It's only accelerated. But when that change was made, and I'll, I, I'll probably get the date wrong, but it's, you know, it was probably about 12 years or so ago. That was a big moment of change, I think, even in, in marketing and branding overall, um, where a chief marketing officer had to start even looking at things like culture. And that wasn't just the role of the chief talent officer, or in our case, the chief art officer. Um, you know, now being at Vayner, we believe and we've bet our entire business on the whole idea that brand is built in social and that you need to be close to culture. You need to understand what's going on in culture Otherwise, you will you will be irrelevant, um, and that means looking at your own culture as well. Um, in you know, we're living at a time when people don't have as much trust in governments and institutions as they do in brands. It means the responsibility of brands is much greater, but it also means the opportunity is much greater as well. 
I remember, you know, you caused me a lot of trouble back at Interbrand. Every time that study was released, my CEO came in and said, why aren't more of our brands on here? You know, <laughs> so I'd always, you know, phone up Interbrand, get the methodology, get our anal analytics people involved, come back and explain why some of our brands were on, some were off, but you created a fire drill for me every year. Yeah, you know, it's, That's it's a interesting. By the way. That's right. Well, thank you. I think yeah, it's interesting because that the CMO didn't have a had have a seat or the head of marketing even. I don't think there were CMOs originally when we started the, that study. Uh, marketers didn't have a seat at the executive table, and so it wasn't until we put a monetary value mm -hmm. on yep. the brand that all of a sudden you did you had a seat at the table. But be careful, be careful of what you wish for, right? You've had a great look at a lot of senior marketing people and CMOs over the years. So I'd like you to now reflect a little bit on what are the characteristics that you've observed for successful, fulfilled, effective CMOs slash senior marketers. So I think it's interesting to listen to a lot of the CMOs that you've had on the mm -hmm. show and to find out that many of them started in a role where they were in a frontline position. So they were in sales or they were in operations um, and they had a fascination for, for marketing, uh, but they knew the business first, right? And so I think the most successful CMOs are they can speak business, they can speak financials, uh, but they also have a heartbeat, right? And so to our, the earlier conversation that we had about, you know, uh, the CMO hopefully being able to bring people together across the aisles, if you will, <laughs> um, in their in their leadership group, that it's incredibly important to be able to be the chief growth officer, uh, but to also be able to join arms with the chief diversity officer. Um, I just saw a new title. You may have been seeing this more chief purpose officer. Yeah. So the CMO, the former CMO of Sephora is now the chief purpose officer. So it's it's also interesting to see, you know, titles change. Also, chief experience offer, officer looking at customer, the whole end to end customer experience, which includes operations. It includes sales, all those kind of things. I think it's those that are, you know, that have really dug in deep to understand their business are the ones that that went out. I don't want you to mention any names here. That would not be fair. But when, when you have a really, really fabulous client at VaynerX that, you know, inspires fab fabulous work from your talented team, what is it about that client that inspires such great work? So the clients that are willing to experiment almost putting themselves at risk at times are the ones that get the most out of us because we're, we have a culture uh, of relatively young people that will do anything to be able to come up with something that is going to make a difference, make an impact, go viral, um, increase sales, all of those kind of things. And when they feel that positive energy from the client uh, and give them a little license they will work day and night and just be there, you know, just unleashed is what I'll say. I love what the, the uh, uh, tone of what you just said. You know, many of the guests we've had on the show talked about talk about this, but you can't create great ideas and great branding and great marketing without a sense of fun and energy and excitement and doing something that 
may not have been done quite that way before. And you feel that in a team, you feel that in a company, and that's a big part of our jobs, right? To create that spirit in the room. And if the spirit's not there, we have to do something to change that. And, and because you can't force it, it has to be organic. It has to be because of the work and the culture and the people. So I love what you just said about that, about fun, excitement, getting people to do something that they feel like it's important. At the end of the day, I think that's, that's a characteristic that I've seen in really successful, happy, and successful CMOs. I want to talk about your career path for a few moments. You've worked at three really well-regarded agencies, right? Siegel and Gale, Interbrand, and now VaynerX. What has been the toughest decision you've had to make in that career, either within those companies or as you move between companies? What's been the toughest call? Yeah, so a couple things. I mean, I started in printing even before that, uh, before I decided to move into branding. And my mother was in printing, which was very unusual. It's a very male-dominated career. And I joined um, a CMO, and I remember interviewing with him and remarking that my that my mother was in printing and he, he didn't, he just heard that my family worked in printing. And so he automatically thought it was my father and my mom and I used to go to all these trade shows together. And so when I made the switch to branding um, and shifting from, you know, I, the only brand I knew about was the branding of a cow because I grew up, you know, on a dairy farm and the whole thing. <laughs> and I tried to explain to my parents that I was going to shift from printing into branding. And they said, there's a job in that. <laughs> I said, yeah, I'm, I'm connecting people to what they want. Naturally, I'm just trying to get it to them. And they said, that can't possibly be a job. So at any rate, the learning the you know vocabulary of consulting and branding at Siegel and Gale was a very difficult thing for me initially, and so I very much have experienced imposter syndrome at every you know sort of job change that I've had. So sh- making this shift from uh, first from Wisconsin moving to New York and opening up a sales office um, when you know I, I didn't I didn't know much about sales and I'm a Midwestern female it was really scary for me but it was exciting at the same time um, making this shift to Siegel and Gale um, was incredible Alan Siegel is like the grandfather of branding in the best of ways and you know really gave me a foundation. Um, as a leader and as much as, you know, in the, in the industry to switch to interbrand was a dream just because interbrand was the best of the best. And I used to consume all of their thought leadership, but then to be running it was, you know, definitely a dream come true. But then I was in search of, I didn't know what next, you know, I was in the midst of maybe my, my third, um, Uh, nervous break, not nervous breakdown, midlife crisis, my third midlife crisis. And I decided to really use this one. Um, And I felt like I just was, I felt like there must be one more culture that I wanted to experience. And so I did talk to a lot of different people um, in, in different groups. And I wanted to meet with Gary, but I honestly wasn't sure that I wanted to work for him because he seemed like he was so driven. And I just assumed that He, you know, may be working everyone to death Um, only to find that in my conversations with him, not only was I, you know, just completely in love with the way that he leads, but to meet the other leaders that were by his side, completely different from him, 
um, and yet just a, an incredible group of people. And so, uh, you know, I feel very fortunate to um, to have been able to join, but I definitely felt like an imposter joining Vayner as well to come to an organization that doesn't speak about brand in the same way that perhaps I had learned about it and, um, you know, had uh, had really lived it for 16 years to shake that off and maybe unlearn certain things uh, before you're making recommendations was hard. I wanted to put points on the board right away, uh, but some things weren't, many things weren't right for Vayner that may have been right for another organization. And so I think the big learning for me was to be comfortable and being uncomfortable, have eyes wide open, talk to a lot of other people like you, Jim, who have gone through difficult times and have gone through times where you're questioning yourself and you're searching for ways to solve problems. Um, it's really important to be able to, uh, you know, to still be able to stand tall but to be the human and acknowledge the fact that we do have insecurities. And sometimes that makes us better at what we do. Is that how you get over your imposter syndrome? You talk to people, you're curious, you learn. Is yeah, that how you I deal try with it? to um, consume as much information for, through, you know, people that I respect um, that have divergent views, too. I have probably a, mm-hmm. a, a cabinet of people um, some of whom I know will tell me even what I don't want to hear, which is tough, right? And we we talk about that quite a bit. In fact, you had Gary on your podcast talking about kind yep. candor yep. and how that's the one leadership, that's the 12 and a half in his leadership skills where he's the half, right? Mm-hmm. That it's hard, you know, when you live in a nice culture, how do you make sure that you're still communicating um, in ways that people can grow and change and get guidance um, and maybe swallow some tough stuff too. Gary, at one point in, you know, in my tenure with him, he saw certain things in me that I didn't see in myself. And I felt like there was this moment where he, he knew me better than I knew myself. And it was funny, just before I got on the podcast today, I was telling my daughter, she said, well, the good news is this is a podcast just about you and you should really know yourself better than anyone else. And I said, yeah, you're right. I should. But how many of us can actually say that? Yeah. And believe you have it. a wise right? daughter. No, it's wonderful to have a boss, though, who can do that, right? To see things in you that you can't see yourself. That's that's a gift. It's incredible. It really is incredible. It's such a gift because it goes beyond just what you do at work and it changes the way that you look at life and it changes the way you live life. Yeah. Yeah. I once picked up the phone when I was in Prague as the general manager for PNG for Czech and Slovak Republics. And my boss, my boss was calling. So I picked up the phone and I said, you know, hello, Herbert. And he said to me, you sound tired. You sound a bit burned out. What's going on? You know, are are you down? Do you need do you need a rest? You know, I thought, how'd he pick that up in like five seconds? And you know, I, I was ready to talk about our business and some initiatives. So we ended up talking about how my adjustment was going. So that's that's a real gift. Well, listen, let's move to the creative brief. And my first question is a big one. Do you know how to milk a cow? <laughs> You or know, when the was the last is, time you milked a cow? Maybe a better that's question. Right. 
That's right. Well, I can say now that my daughter knows how to milk cows better than I do. But yes, I, I do. I do know how to milk a cow. Um, there's new technology now that doesn't uh, mean that humans actually have to come in contact, which is both a good thing and a, and a bad thing. But you can do it if, if the uh, power goes out, you can do it. That's right. I got you, I got your back, Jim. Yeah. Well, what's your favorite dairy product? Is it ice cream, butter? Milk? My favorite uh, dairy product is definitely ice cream, hands down. Favorite brand? Can you say that? Uh, I can say, well, my favorite brand is the uh, the the ice cream that's made out of the University of Wisconsin oh. uh, Dairy School. It is so good, mostly because I think they, they add extra fat instead of skimming any of it off. It's well, just the best. Penn State has a pretty good ice cream program, too. They're right oh, they up do? There. All yeah. right. I'm going to have to check that one out. Now, you, you've been seven years teaching in the Master's of Branding program at the School of Visual Arts in New York. That's a long commitment, seven years. The question is, why do you keep doing it? And what have you learned most from doing that program for seven years? So it's funny you say that because every year I tell my husband that I'm going to get on the phone and I'm going to have the conversation with the dean and I'm going to step down. And every time I come back and I say, oh, my goodness, it's the, their favorite class and I just oh. signed up to do more and I'm starting a new program. And he laughs um, and he knows I'm teaching right now. There's a 12 week period. And yes, it's a bunch of work, but it brings such joy to me because yes, I teach, but I learn so much more than they possibly could be learning. Um, I'm lucky in that this program is one where about 50% of the student base is from outside the United States. There are a mix of students that um, have you know, they've all worked in some way, shape or form in in the industry, but they're in search of more um, and they're very eager. And so we we have a program where a client comes to us with a brief and then we have six teams that compete against one another to fulfill the brief. And it's a it's a fascinating class just because my co-teacher is from Interbrand. Andrew Miller, um, and he is the chief growth officer now. He was the head of strategy. And then, um, and he, you know, focuses for the first half of the program on more of the brand positioning work. And then we, um, we at Vayner then teach all the go-to-market strategy things at the, um, at the end. And they all pitch and, you know, someone's a, some, one team is a winner. Sometimes we put forward two teams and they get to go and present to a larger team. Um, and we've had the great fortune of working with nonprofits as well as for-profit organizations. Um, but the student base just keeps getting better and better. They also, uh, they don't know how to think in any way, shape, or form other than in an integrated way. Mm -hmm. So they're all, they all arrive as being yeah. creators. There's no such thing as, okay, you're the strategist, you're the copywriter, you're the designer. They're all, they come with all of it now, which is just a fascinating thing to see. And that's changed, you know, within the past four years, I would say. We are recording this in the middle of Women's History Month. What one or two women have been real beacons, inspirations for you in your life? So I mentioned earlier that my mother is a feminist and a true leader, and she changed her career many, many times and is a teacher. But then she went in industry, um, you know, in printing and was is a great mother, um, but and a voracious reader, very curious. And so she, you know, set set the tone for me. 
Um, I love people like Gloria Steinem who are, you know, beacons. And I wish there were more that could take her place at this moment. But I love the fact that she put herself out there um, in the name of women. And she she wrote this great book about how being on the road is her home. And I sometimes Mm -hmm. feel that way, too, just because uh, yeah. she loves different cultures and, you know, and sort of being able to prop up those that uh, that that need it most. Um, there was another woman who uh, you may uh, be familiar with, Janet Riccio, who was uh, an incredible leader from Omnicom. And she set the stage for all of the female leaders in the organization in building out a, a program at Babson um, that was an executive program and and really being a strong spirit for female leaders. She unfortunately passed away a number of years ago um, and an incredible person. She also helped us in starting up a an investment group um, that includes not only people from Omnicom, but clients where we invest only in companies that are led by female CEOs um, with a hypothesis that if there is a, a female at, at the helm that the company will outperform the, um, you know, other stocks, mm-hmm. um, which it's, which it's been doing. And I think we've been doing it for w- over 10 years, something wow. like that. Um, but I think it's those, those kind of leaders, those role models that then set the stage for those that are already leaders, but then those that are on the rise. And that's, that's really what I want to focus on now. Um, and that's why I do teach and that's why I do join boards where we're focused more on people like Gen Z, because I want to make sure I haven't given up on the generation that we're in, Jim. But mm-hmm. I do think that, yeah. <laughs> that um, you know, it's a, it's a real honor to be able to help um, others that are perhaps, you know, just getting their career started. Do you talk to your mom much about your career? I do. Yeah. She, um, she oftentimes tells me that I, I have the good fortune that she always wanted. <laughs> oh, so, um, That's sweet. but yeah, no, I talk to her all the time about, um, about what I'm doing. And, um, I have got a, a proud mama and a, a proud daddy too. My dad was, a um, an ophthalmologist and a big bike rider. And so the two of us would, um, always bike to the pigs and back is what we said. Oh, wow. uh, we barked bike to an, a farm that was down the road. So I, I have bits of my mom and my dad and me for sure. So what's the question your mom would want me to ask you? Oh boy. My mom just always asks me, how do you get all that energy? And I think that, you know, the the interesting thing is, I don't know if you find this, Jim, but the busier I am, the more energy I find. Like if things slow down a little bit, then I I get a little funny. So I'm much better when I have 10 million things going on than if I, you know, have only 10. That's, yeah, no, and that's that's a nice piece of self-awareness, by the way. One you know, I had I thought about a lot of options when I left P and G, but I settled on one where my life was a portfolio of activities, and mm-hmm. and that was really smart for me. What's the first brand growing up on that farm in Wisconsin? What's the first brand that made an impact on you? Well, you would think it would be something that would have I would have se- maybe seen on television or something since I went into advertising. But my mom wasn't really into TV a whole lot, and so uh, my, let's see my my favorite brand when I was a kid was probably Crayola crayons. Mm. 
just because we're always the making a big brand. old mess. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And but I always wanted that box of sixty-four crayons. Do you know the one I the mean? Big that one. has, oh yeah, yeah, that has yeah. the the sharpener at the back. And you know, my mom was Dutch, and uh, we saved you got our the pennies. Eight so, box, right? Yeah, exactly. That was just <laughs> enough. That was just enough. Maybe the twelve if I was very well behaved. But I loved the smell of it. I loved looking at you know all the color combinations and things like that. Oh, and I still love, I mean, having been in printing, the whole idea of like color and the PMS yeah. color of the yeah. year yeah. and all that. I love it. Who's the first client who you remember making an impact on you early in your career? Hmm. Well, I think it depends on how you define impact. I've been lucky to work with so many um, important brands from McDonald's to Nissan to Susan G. Komen. But I think that the the thing that made me wake up to the possibility for change was when I helped in founding the corporate citizenship practice, a new consulting practice at Interbrand. And we convened brands up in Boston at Harvard um, for a couple days and taught and brought together nonprofits and students and this was before the days of sustainability or purpose or any of those kind of things, Jim. I think you and I felt it in our soul, but it wasn't something that was talked about. So I think that's, you know, when when I was able to bring both, you know, for-profit and, and non-profit brands, uh, that was when I got the most excited about what you could create. All right. I've been doing all the questions. You said you wanted to ask me some up front, so I'm going to give you the option at the end of this podcast to ask me a question. Well, thank you, Jim. One of the things that I've I've always been inspired about you, Jim, is that you are knowledgeable about so many different things, and you know you have a curiosity, uh, and but also you you go very deep on things. You're not just a generalist. When you when you are interested in something, you you go. Um, I'd love to hear, are there podcasts that you listen to or how do you keep up to date? Oh, gosh. I, you know, I'm going to, this is going to maybe throw you for a loop because it's probably not what you expect. Um, I, I'm a fan of an 80 year old show, Desert Island Discs. Oh, out, I love it. Out of the UK. I mean, I get, I get really emotional when I listen to those. And I just, the simple concept of asking someone the eight songs they would take with them if they were secluded. And I'm sure they never thought 80 years ago it would still be going on. And it's gone from host to host. But I just, um, I get such inspiration from that, from the stories. I mean, I love music too. So it just hits my sweet spot. Uh, I look forward to a new release every Sunday. I go back through the archives all the time. Um, and so that's one. Uh, I like Talk Easy. Just, I, I think oh, Sam so does such a great job interviewing. He has such interesting guests. Uh, and that's another one where I, I take a walk and I end up, you know, having tears in my eyes. So, but again, it's hearing someone's story, what they've learned, setbacks, resilience. So those two, I sort of, uh, I check them out as soon as they, they drop every uh, Sunday. And then, you know, I, I do a lot of the... Um, I do a lot of the ones you would expect. I mean, a big, I'm a big Kara Swisher fan. I mean, I kind of feel like if I don't listen to her once a week, I'm a little bit out of step. And uh, <laughs> I listen to The Hard Fork. I listen to The Economist. I, I listen to uh, Work Life with Adam Grant. Uh, I listen to San Diego News Now. You know, I, I, I do Sisters-in-Law. 
Mm. I I love that. It's it's four remarkable women lawyers, attorneys who come together. Oh, I don't know that one on Saturday, and they're so good together. They're so supportive. They're so funny, and I love how they do their advertising. Everything on that show that they advertise, they use. So it's oh, not just, uh, they're not reading yeah. a script. They're talking about their experience with the brand. Uh, they're proud women. You know, so uh, I just, I just love them. So that's another oh, that's one great. where I, uh, I love listening on Saturday morning when they drop. I like Throughline, where they take a, you know, contemporary issue and go back into sort of where did that start? What's that issue in history? So, so yeah, I do a lot of, obviously I listen to a lot of podcasts. I, I, I like to, in fact, I just, I'm kind of listening every day. If I'm doing chores, I, I, I'm listening to a podcast. Let me guess, let me guess something though. What? Because one thing I know about you, I don't know that all of your, uh, your universe knows this, but I happen to know that you get up fairly early, I, I think. I do. And, uh, I think you and I share a similar ritual that if we, if we can, get out and get our heart pumping and maybe be listening to something yeah, at the same time. Absolutely. A little exercise, nothing, nothing wrong with Get out in nature, that, right? listen to something. I, I sometimes take the headphones off to listen to the birds. But no, I get up every morning and I do a, I usually do a fitness class at about 545. And I'll sometimes couple a walk with that. In fact, I did Pilates this morning in a 90 degree room Oof. at six in the morning. And it's just such a great way to start the day. Isn't it? Yeah. You know, some people would look at that as being the worst imaginable idea, but I, I think you and I are similar. If I can get up early and get and do a workout and I just feel like my day's already complete and it hasn't even started yet. Yep. I'm rest. I, I, if I don't do it, I really miss it. I feel yeah. like it's, no, it's sort of an incomplete day for a lot of reasons. We're lucky that we found that because I think yeah. so for me, it's been so important to get to know myself over time to figure out when I'm my most productive at doing different things. And I try to, um, that's one thing that I changed. I used to sort of hide the fact that I, whenever I wasn't working, I would keep it to myself or, and now I try to announce it all the time. So I'll tell my team even because sometimes I'll, you know, I encourage my team that if they're getting stuck, go for a run in the middle of the day yeah, or go yeah, whatever, you, you know, right. whatever, like self-schedule. Right. Yeah. But we didn't used to give permission for that kind of thing. And I think now we realize that it's really important to understand yourself and how you can, you know, sort of keep that energy at a, at a level that works for you. That's a great note to end the show on. Andrea, thank you for this chat. I knew this would be wonderful. It exceeded my very high expectations. Well, Jim, I can't thank you enough. My heart is so full and I'm just so in awe of the difference that you've made in the industry and in my life. Uh, and I can't thank you enough. Thanks for continuing to do more and more and more. We love you. We're going to keep it going, both of us. <laughs> we are. That was my conversation with Andrea Sullivan. Three takeaways from this good one for your business brand and life. First one is follow the culture. I loved how Andrea talked about making decisions in her career. She went for cultures where she felt she could be at her best. She could bring her whole self to work and she could be a happy, productive and successful individual. She's really happy at VaynerX and she knew that going in because she was going into a culture where she felt she could thrive. Second takeaway. Are you involved enough with young people and with industry groups? Andrea is off the charts in her involvement with the next generation of marketers and in industry associations. She gets a lot of inspiration from that. She meets a lot of people and she feels she becomes a better leader and a better marketer because of her involvement with young people and the industry. Third takeaway, is your marketing fun enough? 
Is it energizing to your team? Is your team inspired to do work that they have never done before? When we talked about the characteristics of the most successful and fulfilled and happy CMOs, they seem to be the ones that created a great sense of energy and fun and excitement on their teams. We could all take a lesson on that and we could all do better. That's it for this episode of the CMO Podcast. If you found this helpful and entertaining, I would be so grateful if you could share our show with your friends. And I would be super happy if you subscribed so you can be updated as we publish new episodes. And if you really want to help, leave us a five-star rating and a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. The CMO Podcast is a Gallery Media Group original production.